Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I came into this thinking, oh, what the hell's this film? <laughs> <laughs> what are these guests picking? These weird films they find. And he said in an interview, I think what helped me is those two performances are so unlike each other that there must have been a lot of voters watching both of them going, well, one of those must be acting. I had the whole place to myself, so I didn't have to worry about any distractions or having someone ask what the hell's going on or what's going to happen next. Like, I didn't make the film, so you need to... We're both on this journey together. <laughs> hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of Flixwater Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Robert. Hello. Tom. Hello. And Helen. Hi. And we're going to be talking about the 2022 version of The Stranger. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello, film fans. Welcome to Flix Watcher Podcast. Our guests today are Rob and Tom. Over to you, please, Tom, to say hello to our listeners and tell them a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. Hello there. I'm a writer. I'm a podcast producer. I am one of the hosts of the podcast Best Pick, which is on a sort of indeterminate hiatus at the moment. We do have some ideas about how we might be going to continue it, but for the time being, we're not actively producing episodes, but we have a terrific back catalogue in which we watched every film that won Best Picture at the Academy Awards, which we did in a random order. So do have a look at that if you want some more film knowledge in your life. Well, I think your feed can never truly go dormant because every year, at least, you have to come back and talk about the latest film. That's right. That's been awarded. So as we record this, so we don't know who's won the Oscars. Yeah, we have the nominations. We haven't had the results. That's right. We haven't got the results. Do you have a favourite, Tom? The film that impressed me the most, and it was blindsided me, really, of the films nominated for Best Picture, was Women Talking. Now, I'd actually heard about that because I was at a fancy show business wedding earlier in the year and managed to have a chat with the costume designer. But even then, I'd thought, God, that sounds like it's going to be a bit heavy going. It is the most beautiful film. So that's definitely one that was the biggest positive surprise. But I have to say, 
for the first time in a number of years, looking at the films nominated for Best Picture, as far as I'm concerned, personally, there isn't a stinker. Okay. Those are 10 films I would all happily go and watch again. And it's that's rare that I can say that about all 10. What about yourself, Robert? You work in the film and TV industry. What are your thoughts on the Oscars in general? I know, obviously, Tom is a big advocate. Otherwise, you wouldn't spend so many years of your life talking about it. <laughs> I think this year is quite exciting. I think it's very open. Obviously, there's you're always going to have your front runners and people that are, you know, kind of a shoe in for getting nominations. But I think there's also a number of surprises. There's also films that have had a lot of legs, should I say, in the whole campaign. And I think a lot of people have been campaigning for them for their films. So like Baz Luhrmann, I've heard quite a lot that he's been campaigning a lot for for Elvis. And I think Netflix are doing a massive push with All Quiet on the Western Front. And I think it has a really great eclectic mix of films for Best Picture. I haven't seen all of them because my time has been a bit sort of split up and also availability of films in the area that I live. Sometimes you have like one showing at sort of like one thirty in the afternoon. It's just like... Is that for Avatar? I could not see a screening. There's no coverage whatsoever for Avatar. Ah, oh, I'm yet to see that one. There's just nowhere, nowhere to be seen. But it is, again... You know, even Avatar. I don't know, it's very hard to call this year, but I kind of hope it's everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah. But, yeah, we'll see. I'd quite like Top Gun to win it, just because I think it'd be nice for Tom Cruise to win an Oscar as a producer, even though he might not ever realistically get it for, I'd say realistically for actor, but we'll just see. Helen, what are your Oscar thoughts? Well, this is the first year that I've managed to see all of the Best Picture nominees. Holy wows. You've done a Tom Selinski. Yeah, there's only one that I didn't manage to see at the cinema either, and that's All Quiet on the Western Front. And yeah, I mean, any of those are great. And I don't know who I'd want to see win. I mean, if Women Talking did win, it would be an incredible moment, but it's not going to happen. But then I kind of like, I really, really love Spielberg, and I, I really, really did love The Babelmans, and... That could be a good Best Picture winner. But then again, like I rewatched Everything Everywhere All at Once at the cinema, which is something I never, ever do. And if that was the Best Picture winner, it would be very, very wild because there's lots of stuff that happens in that that generally doesn't happen in a Best Picture winner. <laughs> it's winning everything else. I think it's got a real shot. Yeah, I mean, awards, they're good and they're bad, but also they're kind of fun and exciting. Yeah. Well, we are talking about this. As you hear this, guys, you will know the results and you'll be screaming at us saying, idiots! Of course it was Avatar or whatever. <laughs> Triangle of sadness. But we were just we were just speculating. We're having some fun. And when we listen back to it, we'll also be saying, idiots! Of course it was Tar. But then we're talking about a film that's not been Oscar nominated now. We're talking about a Netflix reimagination, I guess. And that is The Stranger, which is your choice, Robert. Can you tell us why you chose it? And I'll bring up the timer. I think I might have misled you here, KB. There are about 20 or 30 films called The Stranger, and the one I was referring to has no connection to the one we watched. I do not. No. Well, and also there's a TV series called The Stranger, and I started watching that uh, on Netflix. <laughs> Can you just think The Stranger, and it's the, it's, the one, it's the one that comes, it's the closest to the left, top left of the screen, so you just press yeah. play. I was like, that, that's the woman from uh, Happy Valley. <laughs> there is a 1946 film called The Stranger, which is terrific. It's the only film that Orson Welles directed, which made a profit on its first release. And just in case anyone would rather talk about that film, how about this for a pitch? It's Orson Welles as an escaped Nazi war criminal 
passing himself off as an East Coast professor and Edward G. Robinson as the government agent trying to track him down. If that ever comes to Netflix, I'll certainly watch it. Get you back on for that one. I made a horrible mistake. I should have gone with that. <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit confused because I thought when I saw the reimagining The Stranger, I was like, hang on a second, that can't be right. Have I missed something? Yeah. But it's either here or there. I think we can get confused with how many different strangers there are. Uh, you know, look at us. We're four strangers at the moment. <laughs> so a stranger is about a undercover cop called Mark who forms an intense and intimate relationship with Henry, a murder suspect, and attempt to earn his trust and get a confession, risking both of their lives in the process. I chose this film because I'm a massive Joel Edgerton fan. I also have a soft spot for Sean Harris. And I think also the subject matter is quite interesting in terms of it's another police film about people going undercover but what's the take going to be this time how is it going to be enthralling how is it going to be engaging and because it's loosely based on real life events you kind of like what's going to entice me to keep watching without googling what happens in the end is this everyone's first watch this i guess then of the stranger I think we had a sneaky synopsis. Yeah, that's what I was, I was like, hold on, what? <laughs> you kind of snuck in there without... You didn't get your timer out and... Yeah, I was like, hold on, you gave away the synopsis. <laughs> oh, sorry, I thought Don't the timer was it. there. And I, think, I was like, oh, okay, I, I thought I would do that. Sorry, po- apologies, get apologies. It, get it under the radar. It's fine, it's fine. So, well, Netflix films, interesting, just kind of dropping your feed. And without any kind of warning, this one kind of came on the feed and it didn't have any buzz about it. Not like The Grey Man or Red Notice, whatever ones like So. I always find it interesting, like Netflix's promotional policies for some films and what attracted you to press the button in the first place. Was it like the poster with Sean Harris and Joel Edgerton or was it Buzz that you'd seen? So I think there was Buzz. I think there was, so they're going to show, I think the film was going to be screened at London Film Festival. And knowing that it was going to come out a few weeks after the screening, I thought, okay, I can wait a few weeks, see what the reviews are like as well, because there's a sort of like quite busy time when it gets to sort of October, November, December time. Yeah. And yeah, what enticed me is the poster just looks pretty badass, like the split 50-50. You don't know, you know what it's about. And it's kind of has that intrigue of, are they the same person? Are they a different person? Is this a potential remake of Face Off? Like who knows? <laughs> <laughs> because they do look quite similar with their beards and hair. And you're right in terms of how Netflix, with these smaller films, kind of drop them without any advertising. You'll get a trailer a few weeks before the film arrives just to sort of as an announcement. But then it's kind of, you have to search it for yourself. I think because I knew when the release date was, I literally penciled a day f- to myself in the evening, get myself mm-hmm. a nice takeaway, have a beer and watch the film. I had the whole place to myself so I didn't have to worry about any distractions or having someone ask what the hell's going on or what's going to happen next. Like, I didn't make the film, so you need to... We're both on this journey together. <laughs> it seems like an argument or discussion you've had many a time. I know Helen's had that with her guy, or he just leaves the room. Yeah, he just stops watching. Did Reese watch this with you? No. <laughs> this is not a slight on the film. It's a no. very, very unique piece. I didn't really have much of an idea what it was going into it. I think perhaps on the Netflix sort of synopsis, it does say that it's based on true events. So I kind of had a bit of a 
an idea that some parts were true, but the kind of true bit is not really what the story focuses on. So it's kind of different in that it's sort of more focused on the experience that Mark Joel Edgerton is the undercover cop and his kind of suffocating experience of being undercover. And its narrative is kind of a little bit mysterious as well. So it's kind of like vibes, but they're not great vibes. And there's a little bit of like story and there's little bits of breadcrumbs and you're not quite sure who's telling the truth and who's not telling the truth and who is really who. So it's a sort of mystery, but it's not mystery that maybe is kind of like a satisfying one. So yeah, it was a really, really sort of unsettling watch. So thanks for that. (laughs) (laughs) Tom, what are your thoughts on it? I hadn't heard anything about this film either. And I don't think I would have been enticed to watch it just by looking at the poster. But I have to say thank you to Rob because I really enjoyed it. And it took a while for it to kind of work its spell over me. I think it's it's quite a demanding film. I think you've really got to pay attention, particularly in the first half hour, or you could easily be lost. You know, you cannot yeah. double screen this. Firstly, because as Helen said, it does sort of slowly reveal what it's actually about as you're watching. But also because, as Rob mentioned, about three quarters of the cast look identical with their scraggly beards. <laughs> hunched over body language, terrible ponytails and so on. But it's weird that Sean Harris is in it because what this basically is, is a much more grimy and intense episode of Mission Impossible where they have a bad guy, they erect this completely fictitious world around him and they use that to get him to confess. And so in plot terms, there's very little going on, but it's not really about that as interesting as that is. It's kind of about this weird, codependent, almost homoerotic relationship that springs up between Edgerton and Harris. And that, I thought, was just fascinating and brilliantly played. This is one of my favourite representations of being undercover in film and TV that I can think of, and how that you kind of get into the psyche of that. We've had a few things like Donnie Brasco. Or The Departed. The Departed. I mean, we haven't talked about The Departed, but yeah, The Departed is a good example of that as well. But this is where you kind of felt... This is one most where I felt the pain and duress that Joel Edgerton's character as the undercover cop would be feeling, you know, especially when he's concerned about, you know, his son going down the wayward side and the, like I say, this homoerotic side of things or a very much charged interpersonal relationship which you have to kind of forge with this guy who he doesn't really like but has to make sure, has to like. You know, at one point he gives him a big hug and you think, oh shit, is that... Is that genuine? And this would just have to be confessed, wasn't it? He was like... He confessed and he gives him a massive like man hug and you're thinking, I think he actually meant that, to be honest. I think he meant like, good on you, mate, for confessing. Although hopefully I'll never see you again. So maybe it was a goodbye and a thank you and don't do anything to my son kind of thing at the same time. So that was like an interesting release in the film. And I think it's even more impressive how far inside Joel Edgerton's head we get, given that we don't get those like helpful early scenes, which a more pedestrian version of this film would have given you, where he's sort of given the briefing and we see his like normal home life and he's explained how this is all going to work and we get that contrast. We just have to do some of the work ourselves. And there's a version of this film where they take that approach and it doesn't work because it's all just too obscure and too confusing. But I really thought this was pitched exactly right. I think as well, like, you brought up Donnie Brasco, which kind of has that home life in it, but you don't really feel the pain like Joe Edgerton feels because he, even though he's chasing after this killer who's killed a kid and he kind of basically looks to his right of his son and he knows what sort of monsters are hiding out there in plain sight 
and it just seems so it's that torment that he has even when his son sort of when he's fallen asleep and his son's gone outside and he rushes outside and it's just that that fear of like oh my gosh where is he where is he and the son kind of doesn't understand the situation that his dad's in which is understandable because he's undercover but it's just like wow i can't believe this is it's the sort of as you said the slow burnness of it all but then also when you get to the it's a slight spoiler for the ending but when you get to the ending of the film and then they've caught sean harris and then he's in that pose it's like I feel like you question, was Sean Harris's character always that sort of bit meek and fragile that he was scared of being caught? Or was it just a persona that he played because he knew that it would come eventually and then once he was caught, he was just like, well, do you know what? Screw it. I'm going to pose in that way and just sort of like rub it in their face that, yeah, well done, you've got me. Is the sort of smoking gun of it all. Where do you see Helen on undercover cops and, and, and this one in particular? I quite like them when they're done well. Watch another one. Well, not undercover cops, but people undercover under the the kind. It's such a risky thing. I watched Judas and the Black Messiah, and there's some undercoverness in that, and kind of the mindset that you must have to go to to become this different person, and quite possibly, obviously, say things, but even potentially do things that go against morals against your own kind of beliefs and at any point there's the possibility that you could get found out and obviously if you go undercover these are the kind of people who when they find out are not gonna treat you easily so I don't think I could be an undercover person I think I would probably crack quite early on but I do like watching them on film when they're done well and yeah there was little moments where because there's obviously, I don't think it really quite told the story of how sort of big the setup is. It's obviously like a years and years type thing. And there's other characters that kind of come in and you don't know if they're cops and you kind of find their cops and they approach it in a slightly different way. And you're like, oh shit, are they going to give the cover away? Is it all going to go wrong? <laughs> is this, You know, is he going to end up chopping him up and feeding him to a car compactor or something? So um, yeah, it's quite tense. So yeah, good and tense <laughs> is a good way to play the undercover. It's weirdly tense, isn't it? When you consider that actually the stakes are very low. The crime has been committed in the past. There's no suggestion that Sean Harris is an immediate danger to anyone else. There are very few occasions when we re- even feel that Joel Edgerton is in immediate danger. But the stakes are all hinging on, will this work? Will they pull it off? And it's not even that the, the cops will be in danger physically no. if the cover is burning, it's just that all this work will be for nothing. And then I have to give them huge props for that. Is it actually the final shot? But it's certainly the end of the story where you just have all those people combing the woods for evidence and one of them just stops and puts up one hand. That is beautiful. That is a beautiful piece of super economical filmmaking. I think one thing that kind of struck me was, like you said, the amount of effort that's gone into this into this one case. Is that realistic almost? Because there's, you know, there's like 25 people on it at some points, it seemed like, who are tracking this one cold case, which a lot of people might have, if I've been handed this cold case at 20 years old, I'd be like, I don't know what we can do about this. And you want to put one guy on it for full time for an extended period of time. Is it almost worth the effort? Obviously in this case it was, and there's some value to it. But it did make me think that, Guys, there's a lot of people on this, and I don't know how real. I don't know how representative it is. I don't know how realistic that is. 
versus I can understand why Donny Brasco and played by Sausage Man. (laughs) (laughs) Johnny Depp. I can understand why they put a lot of effort into going undercover in that case where they can uncover a whole criminal entity and underworld. But for this one case where it's just need a confession this one time, it seemed like a lot of effort. And this, if anyone here is listening who knows about under, the undercover world, then it'd be great to understand how you uh, triage these things. I think it is based on a true story. This is a kind of a technique. A, a Wikipedia tells me it's called a Mr. Big scam or sting. Right. Where, yeah, you, you do create this fictitious criminal organisation in order to... Get something. That was the one thing that just sort of bugged me very slightly. It may, it may very well be accurate, I don't know, but I couldn't quite get over the number of times that the pretend bad guys emphasise the importance in their game of honesty. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> we, our entire existence is devoted to the covert, the illegal, but we have to be straight with each other, right? No fingers crossed. <laughs> You've got to look me in the eye and tell me the truth. Yeah, it did, it's the only thing, wasn't it, where you were like... Would you really sort of give everything up like this, knowing what you know about the underworld and and stuff? But I guess my understanding was that he felt the bond was that strong and there isn't many options for him. So he's like, well, if this isn't real, then I don't have anything else. And if it is real, then great. But yeah, I'd be like, is it that easy to get them to confess? Because he confessed to everything. Where he did it, how he did it, good on film... He confessed after quite a while, didn't he? I wonder if that honesty question is like, I wonder if people fall for it on day one. I'll be honest, <laughs> every time. Well, yeah, you're right, I killed a kid. Yay, guys, a day one break. Well, I think as well, I guess they kind of lured him into the idea of like, we can clear your name if you're mm. honest mm. about who you are. And then... Oh, we can help you out at least, so it's not going to be as... And yeah. then that's what sort of is the break in the case, is that they find out, actually, they realise who this real person is and the previous crimes that they're connected with. And it kind of creates a more of a tangible link and more evidence that supports their theory and backs up their claim. But you're right in terms of, oh yeah, it's like that sort of like honour amongst thieves. And you think, well, what you're doing is not really honourable. So why would you sort of like accept that sort of phrase and saying? I like the, the scene in the restaurant where they meet, is it John for the first time? And John says, write down your name and your date of birth. Yeah. <laughs> Paper goes over, comes back seconds later. Your real name. <laughs> yes. And I think that's the point he, he kind of realises. If he wants to be in this any step further the way, they must be giving him some money. They must be giving him some kind of job security. That, you know, they paid for his clothes, for example. And if you're on the knees where you can't afford new clothes, then you're not in real negotiating states. So these guys who have helped him along the way for the past few months, conceivably. Okay, I trust him a bit. Now. Here's my real name. Hopefully you just want the honesty and that, you know, that was the clincher really that's, I think it's too far for him to go back because then you can really just search his criminal history and uncover everything from there. Is there anything else you want to say guys before we head to the scores? Okay, well let's head to the scores. I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family. 
a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have included fellow stripped media family members Martin and Sam from Song by Song, and Kobe from Flixwatcher, and Dave from The Wire Stripped. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast, or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. Welcome to the Flixwatcher scores. All of the scores are out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish. And we will start with you, please, Rob, with your recommendability. This one's quite hard because I would always recommend a film, but it, it varies between what people's tastes. And as Tom alluded earlier, it's not a double screen sort of film where you can take your eyes and look at your phone or your iPad or whatever. And so that's why it's kind of difficult to recommend it to someone who who people who do not have great attention spans but i would probably suggest it on a sort of 3.75 out of 5 recommendability score just because i would really would like people to watch it so then i can selfishly talk about it and discuss it with them (laughs) are we not enough robert this is just the tip of iceberg you know it's like this is the first hit once i've get this i need to keep coming back for more and more tom yeah, similarly, there are people I would recommend this to and there are people that I wouldn't. So there's no way this can be five out of five for me. It's quite a male world and that I think would put some people off. That's nothing wrong with telling those kind of stories, but it adds to that kind of oppressive atmosphere. So yeah, I think probably maybe I would be a little more conservative than Robin, say three. Helen? Yeah, so for all its like strengths, it's a little bit mixed, exactly as you said, Tom, the absence of women has sort of an an effect on how the story is told and the emotions and feelings in it. And then also I'm a little bit conflicted that this story doesn't really give much agency to the victim in that. So there's the story isn't about that, but sometimes I think especially with this case being based on real events, and I think maybe having read about sort of the real case afterwards and how the family felt about this, it left me a little bit mixed. But the two central performances, they're really, really good. And I sometimes I don't think Joel Edgerton quite gets the roles that he can really sort of become the person. So I think if you're, you're a fan of either of those, then you should definitely watch it. And if you're a fan of sort of the more kind of slow burn dramas, then this is 100% for you. So yeah, I'm going to go 3.5. I'm going to go 3.5 as well. I came into this thinking, oh, what the hell is this film? (laughs) (laughs) What are these guests picking? These weird films they find. But this is why obviously, I mean, Helen and I have said before, if it was us choosing a film each time, it'd be very much, it'd be a very boring podcast after a short while. But this is why we have guests on to suggest films that we would never have even considered. And, you know, even Tom here is like, I would never have even consider watching this film had it not been for Flix Watcher Podcast and us inviting you back on to it. Yeah, so 3.5. I think it's going to be difficult to get people to watch it. And I think you need to be in a, in a mindset as well, which will kind of play into repeat viewing score. I need to be in that kind of space in mind. I think, as Robert said at the start, you're at home, you're alone, you've got some takeaway and you've got some beer and you're just happy just to veg out, but still just be focused on this one thing for a couple of hours. And I think that's a, a kind of great zone to be in. One thing I was going to talk about was, yeah, Sean Harris and Joel Edgerton. We've had Joel Edgerton on before in Zero Dark Thirty, but he's one of those actors which I always like recognise him, but then I find it difficult placing him in films. It's one of those weird kind of faces, isn't he? I wouldn't say he's a slubby character actor, but also he's not leading man at the moment. He may may well be one of those. Whereas Sean Harris is one of those people I'm like, every time I see it on screen, I'm like, right, I'm going to watch this thing 
because he's in it and he will give a fantastic performance. And even there's a TV show which is currently out now on, on BBC One called The Gold about the um, Brinks Matt's gold heist in London, which is based on a fully true story. And he plays one of the kind of central characters in it. Every time he's on screen, I'm like, I love this guy. I think he's great. And he's the only returning villain in the whole of the Mission Impossible series. So, you know, there's something about this guy, which is great, but he's very understated at the same time. And I think he's just a fantastic performer. Before going to the repeat viewing scores, I mean, we didn't talk about Edgerton and Sean Harris that much. What are your experience of those two actors in other films? I think with Joel Edgerton, he's not on the cusp of that A-list leading man. But you know, when once you see him, you know he's going to give a really good performance. But then also, he's so versatile in what he does. He's also a writer, director, producer. He's a jack of all trades as well. And I think he is probably one of my favourite working actors at the moment, just because you know what to expect from him. And he does work across various different genres. And I just think that with this performance, he takes it to another level. With Sean Harris, you're right. Hopefully this doesn't come off as bad. And if Sean Harris is listening, please don't take offence. But he's very distinct looking in terms of uh, he always has that sort of, he could look like he's very menacing, but then also he has that sort of sadness about him where he yeah, he can have that in Mission Possible. He has that confidence of being a bad guy that he will kill someone at a snap of a finger. But then when you watch something like The Stranger, he's that schlubby guy who's kind of like a deer in headlights. And then you mentioned the gold where he also plays a very menacing character, but then an unassuming menacing character. He's just that sort of, that go-between guy. But then as that show goes along, you get more character development for everybody. It kind of, he really does shine in that role. I think both of them together really work, just like they sort of, they are the yin and yang in this. And the main distinguishing bit was that Joel Edgerton's character had wore his hair in a man bun to <laughs> yes. distinguish them. Tom and Helen, any, any quick thoughts on any of the, of the actors before we head on to the repeat viewing score? I weirdly gave myself a Joel Edgerton double bill without realising it, because the same evening that I watched this, I also watched 13 Lives, uh, which is not on Netflix, it's on Amazon Prime. <laughs> but, and weirdly, it, in many ways, it's a much more high-stakes story because there are 13 lives at risk, and if the rescue workers don't pull this off, then they are all going to die. But Joel Edgerton's performance that is much kind of lighter. And I think if I hadn't kind of been primed by watching The Stranger, I wouldn't have noticed him quite as much. But the contrast is remarkable. 13 Lives is the story about the rescue in Thailand. Yeah. Right? yeah. When Jim Broadbent was nominated for Best Sporting Actor, I think one for Iris, he'd been in Moulin Rouge the same year. And he said in an interview, I think what helped me is those two performances are so unlike each other that there must have been a lot of voters watching both of them going, well, one of those must be acting. <laughs> I've heard that from him before. <laughs> Helen, any thoughts on the guys before we go into the repeating score? I really enjoyed Sean Harris in Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> I've not seen Spencer yet. He plays, he plays the chef. I don't know, that's just, apart from like Mission Impossible, that's like the main performance in my head when I think of him. Repeat viewing score then. Robert, was this the first time you've seen it or was it second? This would have been... So I watched it last year earlier and then I kind of watched it again just as a refresher and watched sort of any, some trailers of it as well. I think repeat viewing score, unfortunately it would be something quite low in the terms of maybe a two out of five um, and that's being slightly generous. Not because it's not a good film and like I've waxed lyrically over it, but it's more 
that it takes a lot out of you that with the subject matter with what's being presented on screen it is not something that you could just pop on at any time and be like oh this would be my comfort film and it does take a lot of concentration out of you to make sure that you're aware of what's happening on screen and where you are with each character especially if they do look quite similar as well mm. tom yeah, this isn't Singing in the Rain or When Harry Met Sally. This isn't one you're going to want to put on and just have a good time with. I would like to watch it again. It's one of those films where now I know the premise, which is revealed, as I said, quite slowly. I'd love to watch it again from the beginning. So maybe I even go, what did you go for, Rob? One, two. Two, yeah. I might even go 2.5. I don't want to watch this every year, but I definitely would like to watch this again. And There are plenty of movies where watching them once is enough. <laughs> I'm yet to rewatch Tyrannosaur. I... Oh my god! I don't. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I get that. Jesus. So two point five, Helen. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go two point five down the middle. I think I probably would maybe watch it again. Not right now. Watched it fairly recently. It wouldn't be a fun watch, but it would be to kind of have a different experience. Now you kind of know a little bit what's coming, and you can kind of soak up the sort of things in the background and and the atmosphere a bit more i'm gonna go for three for the same reasons as tom but just maybe giving it a little bit of a nudge higher because there are films which have a high repute viewing score because you watch them time and time again and you can watch in the drop of a hat without even thinking and how you know you can step in halfway through the film and you, you pick up from where wherever you've uh, just happened to walk in on but then there's films where you think i need to watch that again because i want to experience it all again but from a different perspective but then after that if i watch it again nah. but I, I need i definitely 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 need to watch it again so this is that's where the kind of bracket falls for me i think i should watch it again and after that then you're done maybe never <laughs> yeah small screen score robert very hard because it, i think it is a beautiful film and it's not something that you should watch on your smartphone i think if it was in the cinema i think i'd go out to see it just because there's certain imagery that is presented in the film that I would love to see on the big screen, like when they're burning the car and the sort of landscapes that they have. I would say it's about a four because now with TVs and how good they are, I don't think you necessarily need to see it on a cinema screen. But I think just because I'd want to, but I'd say about a four, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to have seen it at the cinema. I'd like to have been able to see those images in more detail. But I think one thing you get from watching it at home is a sense of claustrophobia. And I think that does add to it. So I don't think it's hugely diminished by being on a small screen. I think four sounds about right. Helen? Yeah, I'm not sure I would have gone to see this at the cinema. I'm not sure it would have been able to sell itself to me. And also, I don't know if it's just my hearing, but I had to have the subtitles on because I struggled a little bit too. Was it the accents? They're, they're a bit with the accents <laughs> and they're, they're just kind of like... Or mumbling, and, mumbling and yeah, through their beard. So I might have been a bit like, I'll hear what they're saying at the cinema. So for me, watching it at home was the best option for me. So I'm going to say five. And I guess also, you know, when Netflix do kind of put money and a bit of effort behind making really good films, like people, please watch them because otherwise you're just going to get 50 grey men forever and ever and they'll just stop releasing decent stuff. I do worry about the grey man as a concept for like spending a lot of money on a film. We can talk about it another time. We have talked about it another time. You can listen to that episode <laughs> where we didn't like it that much. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm going to go for four. The next time I watch it, it'd be good to watch in, in the cinema. I always like a road movie, Western type vibe in the cinema just to get a bit more of the vistas. So I think there's that edge of me. I just think, yeah, it'd be quite nice to watch in cinema. Engagement score, Robert. I'm going to go for about a three or 3.5. And I think in my mind, I was thinking maybe going a bit higher, but I think I'm also considering about the recommendability of the film. I think because if you, about re recommending the film and that with the subject matter and everything that goes with it, it's like you have to I kind of take into consideration how often I would put it on. But I think as well, if, if it was on in the background and I knew somebody was watching it, I think I might kind of put down what I'm doing and kind of take my seat on the sofa. But I also it, it kind of have to take into consideration how often would that happen with it being on. So I think I'll go for about a three. Tom? I think I'd go higher. I think that first half hour is kind of tricky. And I think you've, you've really got to be paying attention. You've got to be in the right mood for it. And I did find that half, that first half hour kind of moved slowly. But then once I was in, I was in all the way. I was just like riveted. And the remaining, whatever it is, hour and a half, two hours, just flashed by. And I wouldn't have dreamed of even pausing it. So I think I'm going to go 4.5. I think once you're in, it, it's just got you in a vice. Helen? I was kind of like faffing about a bit at the start and trying to like do something on my phone and I was trying to watch it and then I was like no you can't do this right <laughs> yeah, fatal mistake <laughs> put everything down you're gonna have to give in to this oops you're gonna be confused when they say what did you think of this because you're not paying attention so yeah I think uh, yeah 4.5 as well yeah I'm gonna go for a 4.1 I think it's a film if you're gonna start watching it you need to be on on the zone and it sounds like you were as well Robert when you you set aside the takeaway and beer time and alone time to watch it. So I think you're on that camp as well. So 4.5, and that gives us an overall score of 3.58438. That's pretty Decent. strong, yeah. Decent, yeah. Let's head over to Twitter and go to Twitter because we do put a shout out before each time we record. So if you guys are listening and want to get your voices and opinions heard on the film, then you can do so. Uh, just look out for a tweet that says something similar to this. We're reviewing The Stranger with Robert from CII Podcast and Tom from Best Pick Pod. Have you seen it? Tell your thoughts and a score out of five stars from on-air shout-out on Flipwatcher. So we had a couple of responses. Robert, do you have Twitter up in your screens at the moment? Yep, I've got it open here. So Lee Thomas has said, I really enjoyed this. Had it as one of my top films from last year. Kept getting No Country vibes. Joel Edgerton had a good year of this in 13 Lives. Won't be everyone's cup of tea, but if you enjoy a slow burn, atmospheric thriller, then you're in for a treat. 4.5 stars. Thank you very much, Lee Thomas. Frequent contributor to this. Tom? So we also have, this looks like something I got on my eye test, <laughs> Kvikminapod. Which I assume is an acronym of some sort. I think it's Icelandic. <laughs> I, checked, I clicked on their link. He, she, it, or they just mysteriously says, it's a slow burn, but Rob thought it was terrific. Uh, so I don't know if that's you, Rob, or some other Rob, but anyway, no stars, but clearly an endorsement. We forgot to prompt them yeah. for more stars. Rob and Ellie do that podcast, so I assume right. that was Rob who had seen that one before. But yeah, they do know how to pronounce that word on their podcast. I've looked at it many times and don't even know where to start. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's it. Very nice. Very yeah. nice. Skills. Sorry for stitching you up with that when I saw it and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> no, not today. <laughs> well, guys, Robert, thank you for very much for bringing The Strangers. Like I said, I don't think anyone else would have watched it if you hadn't told us to do so. And Lee Thomas certainly has endorsed your choice. Can you sign off by telling us where we can find you online? Also, just mention your podcast quickly. We didn't do so, so much at the top end and 
say sayonara. Sorry about that. Yeah, I was a little bit nervous at the beginning because it's like talking with new people about films and then it's like making sure that I'm on the ball with my choice and whatnot. So you can find me on Twitter, CII Podcast, which is Creative Industry Insight Podcast, which sits down with various creatives in film and TV world, authors as well, and sort of discussing about their work in the industry, or we will pick certain shows. So recently we've had the costume designer from Avatar talk about their work. We've had, which was Deborah L. Scott. We also had production designer Will Tay talk about the Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania and hopefully we'll get a few people on from The Last of Us in the next couple of weeks. Lovely, great. One of my fantastic shows at the moment. Tom, just a... Yes, you can follow me at Tom Stalinsky or you can follow the Best Pick podcast at Best Pick Pod. If you're interested in Star Trek, I am about three-fifths of the way through a project to watch Star Trek from the 1960s to the early 2000s. So join me what? by using the hashtag Trekaday. I'm watching one episode of Star three... Trek a day. Well, fair play to you. Fair play to you. How many episodes is that? It's about 700. Yay. So it's a two-year project. <laughs> Great. I love you. I love the... The marathonness of it. <laughs> yeah. Right, guys, thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time. Thanks for coming Thanks on. Thanks for having us. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Enjoyed this episode of Flixwatcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at FlixwatcherPod on Twitter and we're at Flixwatcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Rockwood Audio's editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Rockwood, R-O-K-K Wood Audio. Tell them Flixwatcher sent you. just heard a stripped media production.